Cy Turner founded Kotick Bikes almost by accident, when he designed a rowdy hardtail for himself because he couldn't find what he was looking for in his local shop. 17 years later, Kotick has grown to be one of the rising stars in the UK bike scene. I'm Luke Bukowski, and this is the Cane Creek Cycling Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to hear from Cy about what it's like to found your own bike brand, why he values working with like-minded companies, and why it really is important to love the products you design. Without further ado, let's get started. I'm here with Cy Turner from Kotick. Now, Kotick Bikes, Kotick Cycles. I should know that, right? Uh, we generally say Kotick Bikes. So that's an excellent place to start. We're, let's, If you're going to start with something, let's start with the name. Okay, so Kotick, as in, well, my name is Cy, so Cy Kotick. It's like that play on words. It was a silly nickname at university because I'm anything but. It was like an ironic nickname that some of the cycling guys gave me. And when I came up with the design for this bike and it was looking like instead of just building one for my own amazement, I was going to actually do this as a business. It came up, it just started coming up as like a nice, interesting, slightly different thing to call the business. Because obviously my name's Turner, so that was already gone. And you know, Gary Turner's GT and CT, you know, that's all kind of, uh, hell, Paul Turner founded Rock Shocks. I know it's not like there's a lot of us Turners in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so Kotick just kept, just kept rolling around as like an idea. And it was, um, and, and it was my, my wife, Jen was kind of, you know, this was this interesting name that you, you know, that sort of came up and it just, it's like one of those things is like naming stuff is so hard. Um, but then once you actually decide the name within five minutes, that's just the name. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it was that. Um, and there's lots of things you could do it because it's almost, um, palindromic and it's almost symmetrical. Then there's lots of like graphical things you can do with it, which is nice and easy. So yeah, so it was just, that was it. And you touched on this a second ago. You said when I had this idea for the bike, so how did the idea for Kotick start? And it, it's almost like, I feel bad asking you this because it's a bittersweet time to talk about this, right? Tell it me is, about the yeah. bike. Yeah, so the, the Kotick Soul was our first model, which we have just announced is going out of production after 17 continuous years and five generations. But um, yeah, the um, so I, I've always designed stuff. I've always mucked around with ideas, even from when I was at school, designed bits of, bikes and just bits of anything really it's what I've always wanted to do and yeah as I just learned more and rode more and got trained more I went I did mechanical engineering at university I just started coming up with ideas for bikes and um, the, the basic kind of seed for it all was that I decided I wanted to stop downhill racing it was all getting a bit like massive jumps and features and I, I like steep tech and like fast riding, but I'm not jumpy in any way, shape or form. So it was all getting a bit above my pay grade. So I got back into trail riding, but I wanted the big tires and the disc brakes and the wide bars and all of this kind of stuff for my, for my downhill bike, but they didn't really fit my trail bike. And I had an old, like a 99 steel Kona frame, which was a bit too small for me, which I put all kind of grafted some of this stuff on. And it wasn't quite right. So I just measured it up and started playing around with the geometry on CAD and, and just tweaking the layout of the frame to fit me better and fit longer forks better and have proper tire clearance and all of these things, just as a something interesting to do. 
and I was just going to get one of the UK custom builders to make it. I was talking to a guy called Dave Yates to make me one, like I say, just for my own amazement, really. But I, I had a chance meeting with a guy called Brant Richards, who was working with On One at the time, who were doing this small batch steel consumer direct thing. They were one of the first people to do it. So this friend introduced us and he said, oh, here, you've got an idea for a bike with sort of that due sense of caution and weariness that you <laughs> sometimes that you get. But I had a full like production drawing for it, like fully tolerance production drawing, because that's what I do. Right. And he was like, oh, right. Okay. We could get you a price for a hundred of these. This, this looks really good. So yeah, so it was all kind of an accident. So he just suggested you're going to make one, let's make a hundred. And so you did, and you have a company now. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> there's more to it, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a little more to it. He said that, you know, if you're sort of fairly willing to look at getting a hundred, we could get a couple of samples. So he, he and his business partner sourced me two prototypes, a medium and a large. And we built them up and I rode the large and I really liked it. And I lent it out to a couple of people and I had a medium built up and loads of my mates rode it. And they really liked it. And everyone who rode it was like, this is... This is a, this is something this is something really something this is a great bike this is something different to what everything else is and it's a, it felt like a step forward from the kind of noodly 580 mil bar XC bikes that hardtails were kind of being at the time and it's a, and it's a peculiarly UK thing as well because it's like full suspension bikes were kind of we're getting okay then i had a santa cruz bullet at the time and it was it, it was a good you know it was a pretty good bike and i had a specialized fsr before that and that was okay but but they at the time they you know people hadn't quite worked out sealing stuff up properly and all of this kind of thing and the, they just dissolved in a british winter mm -hmm. so we got kind of got back to riding hardtails but with all of the kind of big tires and brakes and gear off our trail bikes and down downhill bikes and and the soul was one of the first bikes that kind of properly integrated slightly longer forks with the big tires and the disc brakes and all of that kind of thing into a bike that you could pedal around all day as well so yeah so people really like these things and we were going to do internet direct one of my best mates who still does to this day does the graphics and website for Kotick said I can do your website if you sort me a bike out <laughs> and one of my other mates said he would do us some graphics and the post office around the corner said that I could post boxes every Friday so we're sort of looking at it going well I can do this in my spare time and answer emails in the evenings and then I can just take boxes to the post office and if I get a loan to buy these frames, I don't have to give up my day job. So even if we only sell three, we get some cool bikes and I can just about afford to pay it back. So it almost became like, why wouldn't we do it? It was almost like there was no downsides, but there was no more plan than that. There was just like, why not do it? It wasn't like we had any like sales trajectory or any level of a plan beyond getting some cool bikes and trying to sell them. But then success is built on success, right? I mean, you have small successes that bring bigger successes i'm sure that's it we people like me love to simplify these things <laughs> um anything you applied to those first few years at kotick in terms of some kind of a, some kind of a strategy would be purely hindsight it was nothing was done it was all done in the moment um it was even my accountant that told me that I actually had enough money in the business to go full time when I was looking for a new job in 2006. 
which is when I did finally go full time after three years. And I, I didn't really have much of a clue. I, you know, I just liked designing bikes and selling them and talking to people about it. It was, it was as simple as that. It was almost, it was just, it was just for giggles. <laughs> it, was, it really was. It's nuts. Well, it's interesting because you, you touched on the UK hardtail early years of poor, or let's just say, um, improving rear suspension. And, um, that kind of brings us to the reason that you and I even know one another, which is Kodak has become, in my opinion, at least one of the big champions of Cane Creek in terms of uh, original equipment manufacturer. And just wanted to sort of get your take on, without trying to make an infomercial, I'm just curious, <laughs> curious about your take on why you've felt so strongly that Cane Creek's a good fit for Kodak, why that's worked out for you. It's partly because of the philosophy of the two companies is is quite similar in terms of their i mean obviously cane creek quite a bit bigger than cotic but there's still that kind of relatively small company feel to it it's not just a faceless megacorp and that's super nice and it's the and it's the attitude at Cane Creek as well, as well as the product being great. You know, the product it's sort of that's almost like a sort of take it as red thing. The product's great, but but I should say that. But when we were coming back into building suspension bikes in 2015, we'd had a bit of a break after our first rocket in sort of 2012-13. We were looking for a new suspension supplier, a reliable suspension supplier, because that hadn't necessarily been the case in terms of product support with our previous uh, people so yeah so we've been in touch with cane creek about headsets and things like that and and so i said well you know what would the situation be about getting sort of 50 shocks to get you know to get us some way into this you know this first batch of frames that we're just sort of getting back up and running with and you know with the best will in the world if i was talking about buying 50 shocks if i went to one of the big players they just tell me to go and talk to the uk distributor about buying them at trade price because mm-hmm. you know that's less than a big shop buys in a year but you guys were keen to work directly with us you actually treated us like grown-ups even though we were a small business in you know in the peak district with three people and a warehouse you actually treated us like equals and you were willing to work with us and let us do some, you know, figuring out on the shocks and how best they'd work for our bikes. And it just was a great relationship. And that's, that's kind of where it all started. And, and it's continued to be, I mean, we, you're, you know, we, we love working with you guys and it's, and again, and it's still that thing where a small business like us, we're a lot bigger now and we take a lot more product, but, we still get to talk to you guys in that kind of you're we're treated like being an important customer and we wouldn't be anywhere else. And that's a really important thing because as well as the product being great, people buy from people and uh, we like working with you guys. Well, that's great to hear. I I'm just going to, that's going to be one long quote on the website, but (laughs) (laughs) be great. I look Industry-wide, and of course, we're, we're more focused on the components, but I look at companies that are choosing to, and I, before I say this, I recognize that this can sound really uh, snobby or insulting, and I, I think it's always important to say that there is a bike for everybody, and that in order to 
create an entry level into our sport. It's very important that there are affordable products out there. And sometimes the best way to do that is to, to, to do what's been done before. But that being said, that's not what we're trying to do. And I look around at other companies that are doing things and pushing the envelope. And I think it never ceases to amaze me at how varied that can be. You, you sort of have this one lane of companies that are doing very safe things. And, and, and sometimes they have some innovation here or there, whether it might be a strange geometry or a strange bike or a, an unusual component. But then once you get outside of that lane, then it, it becomes the jungle. It's just this wild west of people doing everything from crazy suspension forks, you know, leaf sprung forks and interesting seat posts and... And it's really, really cool that we're able to work in an industry where literally, I mean, the the roots of this industry to me are people welding things together in garages and putting just absolutely bananas things together that may fall apart halfway down the road. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's um, yeah, it is a really interesting industry from that point of view because it's very dynamic and it's very... And in a lot of ways, it's quite consumer-led as well. I mean, the whole gravel bike thing was just, it's the name that got given to the bike, that pe- the drop bar bike that most people probably ought to buy. And, and even now, that's, you know, the blurring of the lines in gravel and bike packing bikes between road and mountain bikes. You can see that the consumers are still leading the component brands a little bit in terms of the way that, you know, particularly things like, you know, the mountain bike and ro- the road shifters don't talk to mountain bike mechs anymore. So you can't get wide ranges. And and I'm sure it'll all work itself out in the next year or so because, you know, because it always does. But it's that really exciting, like you say, that kind of wild west kind of, you know, hell, I'm just going to take this bike and this old bike and I'm just going to stick some different forks on it and these tires and these drop bars. And I'm just going to go ride for, you know, ride out into the countryside and, and now I need this for it and I need that for it. And it just suddenly forms this whole new genre of bike, which, um, you know, and sometimes you get caught napping by it and sometimes you don't. Um, I find the consumer-led stuff a little bit easier to follow because it's that much more organic. Any, some, of the intro, some of the industry-led stuff has been a bit hard to take at times. I mean, certainly 27.5-inch wheels was entirely industry-led and felt like I, t- I turned up at Eurobike 2013 and felt like I'd been mugged. <laughs> I was just like, oh, so 26 isn't a thing anymore then. You know, just thinking about all of the forward orders that I had and the bike I had, like, vaguely half-sketched with 27.5-inch wheels. That Soul 275 was the fastest-developed bike we have ever done. We, we did it in three months. It's a, you know, and that's a perfect example. It's funny that we're having this conversation because two hours ago I was in a meeting and we were discussing this sort of notion of when is something led by the consumer and when is something pushed by the industry because often the things that are sort of pushed by the industry often, and hey, I'm a marketing director, they're often pushed by me and my ilk in in these videos and it's what you need because otherwise you're not able to ride to the level of Aaron Gwynn. But those waves crest and look, I mean, I don't know if people outside of the industry realize how catastrophically fast the 27.5 
crashed. I mean, in terms of that went away so fast, or it has, has largely gone away, at least in the U.S. Now, it's not entirely gone. You guys are still doing some, some cool stuff there. We, we are, but, but the volumes are way down. That's one of the main reasons why, why, Seoul, why we had to call time on Seoul, because we already had a 29er equivalent in the range, the Solaris, which has been in the range mm-hmm. since 2011 or 12. And they just kind of sit, you know, and the Solaris is effectively the Sol 29. We just wanted to give it a proper name for itself rather than just calling it the Sol 29 at the time. And what's happened over time is that kind of rider has migrated to 29 inch wheels as those wheels have become more appropriate for the style of riding as the geometries developed to become better suited for those wheels as the kits developed to become better, you know, in terms of the 29 inch wheel offer. You know, as much as I love riding a Soul, I'll, I'll be honest, the first hardtail I will pull out of the rack will be, would be a Solaris. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. six foot three. I just, it just, I, an XL Solaris just works better for me. And for that kind of rider, that's broadly it. The, what we're finding now is, is that sort of the more kind of rowdy riders are sticking with 275. So that's why you'll see that we've still got the beefy hardtail in the range, which is kind of the sort of hard nut enduro hardtail uh, with 27.5 inch wheels. And we're making the rocket, uh, the 27.5 inch wheel version of the rocket. But we brought that to the UK partly to, because we, we were on the line, line of, we don't think we can justify the production volumes to keep this going in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we're, we're, you know, although it's not completely gone away for us, we're definitely seeing lower volumes. Well, and, and it's interesting because you mentioned the rowdy riders, and, and that's just it to me, is that so much of our sport and our industry is sold on the perception of the rowdy rider. And even us at Cane Creek, we probably have a higher percentage of customer that may fall into that category just due to the nature of, of our product. But for instance, and again, this is just all reflecting on a conversation we had earlier today, but with the new gravel craze, one of the things that we're seeing is this push more and more toward essentially trying to turn gravel into this idea of, you know, you're going to tread down single track and need a dropper and you're going you're gonna to take these drop bars, which I have done. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. But I think your average person that's out riding gravel, at least in the U.S., is is really doing, you know, kind of a maybe a mixed surface ride or they're doing more of that spinning sort of longer distance ride over not such gnarly terrain. And they would probably be better served by a suspension seat post. Now, there's a plug for a cane creek right there. But but. <laughs> You know, Richard, Richard loves his on his gravel bike. He's our marketing guy. <laughs> and to me, that's just a, it's a logical fit. You're on a you're on a bumpy road, and uh, and that first five millimeters is taking up the play, and it's it's just really making it feel um, uh, just a lot more comfortable, and it's going to give you a longer time yeah. to be in the saddle. But but um, the industry makes you want to think that you're not really doing it unless you you have a dropper. Um, and it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we even had the. We, we, it's, it's funny. We we had that kind of conversation as well today because part of the thing with lockdown in the UK is we have been allowed to cycle 
but you're not allowed to travel. Well, as of today, you're allowed to travel, like jump in a car and go to exercise somewhere. But up till now, we haven't been able to. And we're, as a result, gravel riding has been a big thing. And, he, and for me, even though I've got mountain biking on my doorstep, because because I'm on the edge of Sheffield, which is on the edge of the Peak District, but because because of that, my local my local mountain bike trails are now busier with people walking out or riding out to their local trails because they can't do anything else. So I've actually been riding my gravel bike quite a lot on sort of real quiet, like sort of you know bridleway kind of gravel road, genuine gravel road kind of stuff, um, and I've been really enjoying it. Because I'm not, because I'm suddenly not dragging my like 1.2 kilo sticky enduro tires around and all of that kind of stuff, and I've sort of realised that I have, I've got a bit, sort of a little bit myopic on the kind of fact that I pretty much ride enduro style riding all the time. I ride a Rocket Max and I ride with my mates and we try and go as as fast as we can down rocky stuff. And um, that's sort of been reflected a little bit in some of the specs on the bikes. And, you know, and it's interesting to go back to those lighter bikes and going, hey, I don't pop the tires all the time if I'm not riding rowdy stuff on, you know, <laughs> on these tires and all of this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, everyone can be a bit guilty of like just being into the kind of riding that they're doing at that moment. It's interesting how the sport has gone in that direction. Um and in some ways, it's full circle because when you actually pull the frame off of one of those things, it's really a '90s mountain bike frame, isn't it? I mean, my 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 gravel bike is literally like one of our old mountain bikes with drop bars on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we do make a dedicated gravel sort of gravel bike. The Escapade is kind of a tough road bike. It was it was it was gravel before gravel was a thing. Yeah, we were doing it before it was cool. Um, but uh, we've always built road bikes with disc brakes, with big clearances, with reasonably tough frames and slightly more relaxed geometry because we feel that that's what most people really ought to be have on the road because road surfaces are generally, even sealed road surfaces in the UK are pretty bad. Um, so, so gravel's kind of caught up with it and the sort of things like the WTV Road Plus tyres and things like that have been great. But yeah, I've just got one of our old... So our pre long shot geometry bikes with some rigid forks in it and some skinny tires just for just full bit box it's got like a nine speed old nine speed xt mech and some 10 speed 105 shifters it's That's full but it's just great for crashing around byways on oh you get a free cup of coffee in brooklyn riding that bike so <laughs> so uh i've i've taken more than my allotted time but i have two more questions for you one where do you see kodak in 10 years oh man that's that's too far away that's too far away i tend to work in kind of three to five year chunks that's about as much as i can conceptualize but even though we've grown a huge amount in the last three or four years you know four years ago there were three of us and now there's eight of us um I love that team and I love interacting with them and the, the things that they all bring to the brand. And I love knowing everyone properly. So I could see us being bigger. I maybe I could see us selling twice as many bikes or even three times as many bikes as we do now, but that wouldn't necessarily need three times as many people. So I can see us still being broadly this, but you know, selling a bit more, maybe with a few more mechanics, a few more, admin but 
yeah, broadly, I, I like the shape of the business it is now and it, it could stand to grow a little bit. So yeah, just doing more of what we do. My last question, and you may have already answered it, but what's the favorite bike you've ever owned? It's my Rocket Max. It's my Rocket Max. My Rocket Max is my go-to mountain bike. And it's still, I, you know, even though we've just released the updated version, I spent most of last summer, like, if you look at, like, our work WhatsApp group on a Thursday night, most of summer 2019, it will be me babbling about how good the bike is and what, how the hell do I make it better? <laughs> um, I just love that bike. It, I, I, it feels really weird to say it, given that I, I designed it and, and built it. But it's so good. It's so good. I, that, no, that's, that's exactly right. You should feel that way about a product. You know, I, I, I would hate it if I was ever in a meeting and we looked at a product we made and said, well, it's not great, but it'll sell a lot. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say, I am so happy with this bike. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, know, you know how happy I am with it is that I'm not even going to get a Gen 3 bike. My, currently, my Gen 2 pre-production frame is being stripped and recoated and repainted by the Five Land guys up in Scotland. And that's it. I'm going to keep riding, keep riding my favorite bike. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. You can also find us on Instagram at Cane Creek USA and on Facebook at Cane Creek Cycling Components. We'll be back in July. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.